Hi, I'm Justin McFadden, store director at Station Park, and you are listening to Taste of Harmons. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Taste of Harmons podcast. I'm here with Brandon. Hello. How are you, Chef Leslie? I'm great. How are you? I'm well. I will put the little disclaimer here that I am losing my voice. So oh, there it, he goes. Did you hear yeah, that? So <laughs> it's, yeah, lovely day to have podcasting day, and then i am got a scratchy throat and losing the the so-called voice here. So, Who's our guest today? Our guest is Dietitian Ashley. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. Very nice to have you with us today. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with being a dietitian. Yeah, so I feel like I want to give a little bit of context to this answer because it's really been a lifelong journey. But um, as a kid, I was overweight and I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate, but our society is not very friendly to heavier bodies. So, you know, I think as a, as a young kid, um, it's hard on you, right? You're, you're getting messages from the media. So I always kind of had that um, in the background, which really kind of led to low self-esteem, right? So then I get into junior high and high school, and I was so lucky to have awesome sports coaches and really body positive people in my life and just found a lot of joy in playing sports and moving my body in a way that was really fun. So that's kind of where I think the seed began. Um, and then once I graduated high school, I freaked out. Like I think a lot of high schoolers do. Absolutely. I was, I was like, freshman, what, am I gonna do? what is it? Freshman 20, 40? Gosh, I can't remember. Uh, um, oh, the freshman 15. Is that what 15, you're referring to? Thank <laughs> you. I knew there was an alliteration in there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I gained 20, but anyway. Um, so I wasn't so much worried about that, just as like I had no idea what I wanted to study. Um, so I actually decided to defer, and I took some time off, and I had the opportunity to go to an educational retreat center and basically volunteer. And this place was very focused on sustainability and wellness, and I kind of grew up eating meat and potatoes, and then all of a sudden I was trying tofu for the first time and eating vegetables that I had never seen before. And so I just started to get really inspired by how it could have such an impact on just my general wellness and health. And it helped that there were a lot of other people from all different cultures eating all these different types of ethnic food. And that was just where I got inspired. So I knew after that experience that I needed to become a dietitian. And I picked dietitian because having that credential is really important to work in a lot of settings. So like if you want to work at a university or you want to work in the military or you want to be um, with a sports team, you have to have the dietitian credential. And so I knew that I wanted that because that would allow me to work in any setting that I chose. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So where did you go to school? So I did my undergraduate and my graduate degrees at the University of Utah. Um, and my undergraduate was in behavioral science, so it's a really good foundation for figuring out why people have the eating behavior that they have. And then the master's program that I did was in human nutrition. Um, so that's where I got my training to be a dietitian, specifically in the master's program. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So at what point are you saying, what type of a, of a job do I want? Yeah, so that's a good point. I, I think I was a little bit naive in that I was like, I'm really interested in nutrition, but I didn't necessarily think about the job so much, um, other than I knew I wanted to talk to people about food and healthy eating. Um, so actually, when I was in the master's program, I happened to be um, placed uh, with Harmons as one of my rotations, which uh, I 
didn't I didn't request it. I didn't ask for it. I actually didn't even know that that was a thing. Um, and literally after my first day, I was hooked. I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening here is so special. Um, my preceptor, which is basically like the person that trains you when you're a student, um, was a dietitian at Harmon's and she was fantastic. Um, and that's when I was sold. Yeah. How long were you there at Harmon's? Um, so it was, gosh, how long? I think it was, a, it was about a month long. Yeah. Yep. So when you get assigned, essentially, to have this as part of your rotation, whatever, right. what was the hearing Harmon's, that you were going to be doing that at Harmon's, like, what goes through your mind at that at that point, not knowing about our program or like, how, how did that go down for you? Yeah, well, if I'm honest, actually, at first, I was not very excited about it <laughs> because I thought, my initial thought was just like, a grocery store? wait, what? What am I going to do in a grocery store? And that was kind of like the knee-jerk reaction. And then as I was thinking about it for a minute, um, you know, I grew up in a, like a food family. And so I loved, I mean, I love grocery stores just in general. Like I love going with my parents and my husband shopping. And so I thought, oh, actually that could be kind of cool. And then I was like, well, I wonder what we do at these stores. And then I started researching a little bit about the program on my own. And I it's really just a community public health, which I was always interested in anyway. Um, so then I was excited. I had no idea how much I was going to love it until that first day. Okay, so you finish grad school and you apply? Um, yeah, so actually I developed a really good relationship with um, the dietitian that I was working with. Um, her name is Laura, and she actually let me know that Harmons was hiring, and she was like, you would be a really great candidate. I think you should apply. Um, and so I actually um, started pretty much right when my program finished, which was, it was really great. Excellent. So yeah. at that point, how many dietitians were there? Yeah, great question. So there was Laura, Janelle, Sarah, and Kayla. So there were four. And then when I was hired, I was hired with um, our fifth dietitian, who is Melanie down in St. George. Um, and so we were trained together. Okay. We were four and five. And what year was that? Ooh, now you're testing my memory. Uh, what year is it now? 2019. 2019. Uh, 2014. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. And so now, how many do we have? We have seven now. Yeah. Okay. And each, because we have 19 stores, one is the distribution center, right? So 18 stores divided amongst all of you. Yeah. So actually, one of our dietitians um, works at the support office, and she focuses on just general wellness for the entire company across the board. So her role is a little bit different. Um, the remaining six dietitians work in the stores and we focus on dietitian health nutrition stuff at the store level. I know we have our dietitian's choice program, so maybe we should talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is probably what our dietitians are most proud of. I mean, we spend... I don't know if all of you know, but we spend hundreds of hours every year kind of staying on top of the program. Um, but just to back up a little bit, so basically what it is is it's a healthy icon that we put on the price tag, and that means that that product is generally healthier for the general population. Um, so it's not meant to be for any specific health condition or anything like that. It's just for the average person, this is going to be a healthier product. Um, and... That sounds really simple, but we have hundreds of thousands of products, and they form, they reformulate. We get new products. Products are discontinued, so we're constantly updating it to stay on top of it. 
Um, and it's really just meant to be as a guide to help people pick out the health. How care. often is that list renewed? Like weekly? Um, monthly. So we add, so our stores get new items every six weeks. So we always review those items. Um, and then twice a year we review everything, um, just to make sure it's accurate. Okay. I'm sorry. Everything is what? 75,000 products. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a, it's a huge undertaking. Yeah. We're actually doing it right now. Our deadline is the end of December. So it, okay, this is a say, nice break. Let's say. And, but you've added, as of this past year, like cheese is now a part of your criteria now too, right? So you're adding yeah. more products to what you're supposed to be looking at? Right, right. We're constantly, so we're such a small team that we have the ability to constantly like update and make sure how we decide is um, basically following the research. Um, so yeah, we decided uh, based on current research uh, regarding saturated fat and dairy products that we should add cheese to our dietitian's choice program. So when I say that, basically I mean we used to not tag any cheeses at all so you wouldn't see dietitian's choice on any cheese and now they're on the healthier cheeses. Um, and that's really just because there's more and more evidence showing that saturated fat from dairy products is not quite as harmful as we once thought and there's a lot of nutrients in cheese that are good for us and if you just want to face the facts i mean people love cheese they're gonna eat cheese right so we want to guide them towards those healthier choices so are you, when you're doing that like because you've talked to me about this before but this was when it was still brand new so it hadn't been really implemented yet are you doing specialty cheese or you're doing deli wall deli style cheeses or both? Yeah, or? so we're doing both. Okay. Um, the problem that we have with the specialty cheeses is because they're artisan crafted and they're made in such a small batch, we don't always have the nutrition facts for okay. those products. And, I mean, unfortunately, if we don't have nutrition facts, we just, like, can't. We can't just assume we know what it is. So that just makes it hard because we don't have the information we need to decide on that particular product. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. but I... And this could be just my complete novice skill level here, intelligence level, I should say. <laughs> um, but I just, I have this perception that specialty cheese stuff is going to be a healthier alternative than than the stuff on the wall, Deli, because of additives. Processing? And, and you know, pre uh, Certain types of preservatives, because I know that's what a cheese is anyway, but... See, but my culinary mind immediately says a hard cheese, a crumbly cheese, is probably going to be healthier than a moist, soft, gooey cheese. Okay, yeah. that, that might be true. For but, fat content, mainly. But that, 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 that's not any... Like, within the specialty cheese thing, that's there, but not in terms of the Waldelli stuff, because you're not going to have a lot of the softer... Correct. So, okay. So... Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I just picture like the orange cheddar yeah. brick is different. They call in, it a loaf. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel that that's different than, you know, getting an old crock off of the specialty cheese island. But I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So I guess in my head, I would make a couple of distinctions. So one, we're not, we're only talking about actual cheese. We're not talking about cheese like products. Um, so those we don't include at all. Um, and then as far as, you know, like the more uh, commodity cheeses versus like the specialty cheese, I think 
processing could indicate healthfulness, but more often really what we're looking at is just caloric density. So like like Leslie was saying, you know, brie or camembert, like a very creamy, melty, super, super high fat cheese that's also pretty mild in flavor. Like that's just so easy to overeat. You're just going back for more and more, right? Because it tastes so Especially good. Especially if it's warm wrapped in puff pastry. Exactly. <laughs> or if you think like... um uh, like a goat cheese or a feta, for example, is so sharp and pungent. You know, you just sprinkle a little bit on top of your roasted vegetables or on top of your salad and you're a lot satisfied with less. So we think about it kind of in that way. Um, but I will say artisan cheeses, they're because of the way that they're produced, they just taste better. So a lot of times, like I always tell people, you know, when you're eating cheese, you want to eat a cheese that you love. You shouldn't sell for a cheese that's like meh, right? You're not going to you're not going to enjoy it as much. So eat cheese you really love, and then hopefully you're not kind of going after that craving by continuing to eat more and more and more. Everything in moderation. Yeah. Moderation is great. I'm going to bring up another uh, misconception maybe. Yeah. Uh, and, and just kind of see how you address this. So, again, before me meeting with all of the dietitians, there was this thing in my head where healthier does not translate to tastier. But you guys are doing a lot of cooking classes and there's a lot of education that you guys do. I know you have on my part of, of being able to find healthy and making it, making it taste good. You have to love food. And how can we educate people to start eating healthier and to cook things, bringing out all those wonderful flavors that you don't necessarily think that you know, a healthy item is going to have. Yeah, that's actually my favorite misconception to shatter because it's not true. <laughs> um, healthy eating is also delicious eating. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, and I do think that a cooking class is really the best way to experience that because you just, like, once you get that hands-on experience and you actually get to try the food, like, it happens all of the time. People, they can't believe it. They're like, this is actually really good and I want to make this at home and it's good for me. Like that is just so, so fun. It's and like it, that light bulb moment where yes. people go like, Oh, right. And it's, you know, I mean, I know Leslie can speak a lot more to this, but what is delicious food, right? It has a variety of textures. It has a variety of flavors. It's well seasoned. Like, that can apply to any food. And, you know, it doesn't have to be only your unhealthy favorite food, mac and cheese or whatever it is. You know, it can also be like expertly cooked noodles tossed with vegetables and this awesome sauce and, you know, any of that. So, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> um, so it's kind of an addition to that. I, I'm curious how you deal with your job in, in regards to this because you're, you're trying to promote healthy and but we're in a grocery store, obviously, and yes, there are healthy options as there is non-healthy stuff. But so much of what we do, you know, whether it's in marketing and just in the grocery business, anyway, we have so many holidays that are focused in on junk food. Super Bowl is eat junk food. Halloween. Valentine's Day fun is fact. chocolate. Actually, fun um, fact: people eat more calories on the Super Bowl than they do on Thanksgiving. <gasps> I, I'm, really? I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised. And it's probably bad calories, right. too, because right. it's right. just, it's junk food. Cheese dip. They're, like, <laughs> I, other, than, other than the month of January, where I'm, 
everyone's jumping into this healthy mindset, like everything else is so consumed about junk food. And like, how do you navigate that? Because you, you, just because we're promoting this, it doesn't mean you have to go to the junk food stuff. There's lots of foods you can do on the Super Bowl that isn't saturated fat, that isn't candy, you know. Um, how do you guys, how do you and the dietitians deal with that type of yeah well so you know the funny thing is anytime you tell yourself you can't have something so if you're going to a super bowl party and you're like i'm not going to eat any chicken wings what's the first thing you want to eat as soon as you get there chicken wings yeah right so we spinach artichoke dip (laughs) oh yeah um so, so so actually the way we talk about that is kind of through the lens of intuitive eating which some listeners might be familiar with also but Basically, it's this idea of being so tuned into your body and how certain foods make you feel and not limiting any particular food. So basically, you have the awareness to say, you know, eating a little bit of spinach artichoke dip with some crudite is going to make me feel good and I'll be happier doing that. Or you might walk in and say, actually, I really want chicken wings today and I'm going to eat those and that's going to make me happy and doing that. But on neither end are you forcing yourself to eat crudite because you know that that's better. You're doing it because you know you're going to feel better and happier doing that. Similarly, you're not going to say, oh, I'm not going to eat those chicken wings because I'm going to feel gross. It's like, oh, I'm going to have a few chicken wings. I'm going to enjoy them. I'm not going to, you know, eat three dozen because that then I wouldn't feel so good. You're really kind of honing in on your body's needs and what your body's telling you, and that actually guides you to more healthful food choices naturally um, and kind of builds a better relationship with food. Anytime you put something off of limits, um, especially around the holidays, it's just a really bad mindset to be in, right? We don't want people to feel that way around the holidays. We want them to be happy, enjoying food and and having a positive experience with food, regardless of what the food is. Um, So that's really more important. Um, Kind of, it's kind of the, another way of putting it, I guess would be like, more gentle nutrition throughout the holidays, right? We're not saying you can only eat fruits and vegetables and whole grains during the holidays. Like there's just no room for your favorite food. That's not very fun. And it's also not necessary. So again, it just keeps coming back to this moderation thing is ultimately what it yeah. comes down to. And I think like one, one thing that I just try to strap to people too is sometimes it seems counterintuitive but actually giving yourself a little bit of structure actually allows for more freedom. So uh, I'll explain it this way. So let's say you you don't have any structure at all as far as your eating habits go. So you haven't eaten breakfast because you were running out the door, and then you're really hungry at lunchtime, so you stop to get some kind of fast food. And then the end of the day is here, and it's dinner time, and you don't have a plan. There's nothing at home to eat. So again, you're going to go... Uh, you know, dine dine in or go to fast food or something like that. And because you didn't have a plan, you were sort of forced to make less good choices because you didn't have any time to do something else. Versus if you do have a little bit of structure and you know maybe what you're going to eat for breakfast and for dinner, that kind of creates a healthy pattern, right? So basically having a little bit of structure gives you more freedom to actually eat whatever it is that you want. That's what I say about my Milky Way <laughs> once a week. <laughs> I have done well this entire week. I deserve a Milky Way bar. I have yeah. never seen you eat a Milky Way bar. It's a Milky Way dark. Mm. I don't know. Either way. Yeah. Well, okay. That's my... It's usually Reese's. Achilles heel. 
we've talked about the number of products that you go through, but what are the specifics in determining whether a product gets the dietitian's choice label or not? Yeah. So it, we have different criteria for every single category, right? Like what makes a uh, yogurt healthy is different than what would make a frozen meal healthy. So we have different like nutritional parameters, um, but kind of taking a step back a bit before you even get to the different food categories, we basically make our criteria based on two things. So one are the dietary guidelines for Americans, which is this huge scientific report that comes out every five years by scientists and medical professionals and researchers. And it really just shapes our nutrition policy across the country um, in all different kinds of ways. So we use that because that's kind of the benchmark. Um, but we also recognize that the dietary guidelines is really unwieldy project, right? It takes five years to update. Um, so we know that sometimes it kind of lags a little bit, like it can't include the most cutting edge research because it's this huge project by um, HHS and the FDA. So we can be more nimble, right? Because we're just a team of seven dietitians. We can be more up to date. So we use that. But then our second thing that we use is just the best science available, because um, the other thing about the DGAs is that they can be subject to politics, right, and lobbyists and things like that. So we can take a step back and we don't have to be subject to that because we can just look at the science and make the best nutrition recommendations there. So we use both current science, best evidence, and the dietary guidelines for Americans. What is the latest dietary guidelines that you have to work with? Um, so that's the one that came out in 2015, and there will be a new one in 2020. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm a new cereal, or I'm a new, uh, you know, protein bar or something. So what? Are, let's say protein bar category. What are you looking for? So um, in protein bars, we are looking for uh, not too much saturated fat, not too much sodium, um, and then no questionable ingredients. So we don't allow artificial sweeteners um, or anything like that. This fascinates me. Go yogurt. You were asking about, you were saying about yogurt. Yeah. So yogurt, the biggest thing we look at is added sugar. Um, and then we allow up to 2% milk fat products. So fat-free, 1% and 2% um, yogurts would all be dietitian and choice. And no well. more than how much sugar? Uh, well, it depends on... Um, Right now, our criteria is a little bit tricky because we don't have the added sugar line on nutrition facts. So we look at if there's fruit in the product, and then we allow a little bit more total sugar because we know that fruit contributes to sugar. Um, but added sugar, oh, I'd have to look. I think we're allowing, um, I think we're allowing six grams of added sugar okay. per six ounce container. But don't quote me on that. Okay. I won't quote you. Yogurt is hard because the marketing is so good that if you stick that in a little glass jar and put a little French name on it, I'm going to buy that. And it could have like 16 grams of, of sugar in it. Yeah. I love that too. Cause I learned one of the other things I learned, do you guys know Oikos triple zero, the mm -hmm. container yeah. it's black. Yeah. apparently just switching to a black container increased their sales so much because it was a way to get men to buy more Greek yogurt because they liked that black <laughs> label. Isn't that so interesting? Like how different even colors affect our food choices. That is like you throw Icelandic or you throw, I don't even know. Just it sounds so far away and it must be delicious. <laughs> like, yeah. That is ridiculous. Well, is what it's it is. outside of 
ge- geography, as you mentioned, but like the word artisan, you know, right. is, is one of those key trigger words that's, oh, this must mean that it's good and handcrafted when most of the time it's not. See, I look at the word natural like I look at the word artisan with a big question mark. Oh, yeah. As yeah. you should, because it means nothing. Nothing. Literally nothing. Yes. <laughs> That's true. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about um, types of trends that you're seeing, because I've recently heard, I was in a sushi bar uh, maybe a couple months ago, and then I heard somebody at the bar say, I'm following the FODMAP diet, so here's what I can and here's what I can't have. And after like the seventh item, I was just like, wait a minute, did he just say FODMAP? I'm trying to Google it. Like, what on earth is he saying? But I'm hearing it more and more. Yeah. So so uh, FODMAP is a mnemonic. I think that's the right term for it. Correct. Um, yeah. So um, FODMAP, F-O-D. M-A-P. That stands for fermentable oligodisaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Hope I didn't mess that up. That was really You did good. not. I'm following. That was amazing. Oh, I'm, good. You're yeah. double checking yeah, me. Because yeah, I, I was like, how does she remember this? These are words that mean nothing to me except for They seem like types of saccharides or poly, what is a polyoil? Polyoil? A poly, polyol. Polyol. So basically all of those fancy words are specific types of carbohydrates and certain people don't digest them very well. So what happens is because they're not digested, they end up getting into your colon and then they become fermented, which causes all kinds of problems. It can cause bloating and stomach pain and diarrhea and constipation. And So does this, just looking over that and everything that you're describing, is it sort of mistaken as being an IBS-related issue or, or are they... Synonymous. Yeah. There's overlap for sure. So like IBS is, we don't really know exactly what the causes are. And so in some percentage of IBS patients, a low FODMAP diet does help ease their system um, symptoms. Not for all of them, but for many of them, it does help. Yeah. Very okay. nice. So just really quick, that is saying you're lessening your carbs. So what are examples of what you should curtail? Oh, so it's actually, um, you're not necessarily decreasing like total carbohydrate intake. You're just cutting out the specific carbohydrates that cause those problems. And the interesting thing and what makes it tricky to do this with people is everybody's a little bit different. So for example, um, one of the fancy letters is really high in apples. So sometimes we'll say, okay, don't eat apples, um, but have, um, you know, strawberries instead. Um, honey is another one. Fructose is, uh, one of the FODMAPs. So honey, um, can cause problems with people. Uh, fructans like onions, uh, and garlic can also be issues. So that seems to me like the entire allium family, leeks, green onions, all of those. Yes. So yes, that for, um, for some. For some. Um, the polyols are the alcohols, so like sorbitol and mannitol, like a lot of the nutrition bars we see nowadays have a lot of sugar alcohols in them. Those can cause digestive issues. Um, so cutting those out would be important too. Interesting. Okay. Um, lactose is another one. So a lot of times we'll tell them to be lactose free, but not all of the, not all of the FODMAPs cause symptoms in all people. So it might just be a couple of them. Um, it's usually not all of them. Okay. So let's just say we have services where you can come to Harmon's. You could make an appointment with a dietitian. You could say, I believe I want to start following a FODMAP diet. 
can I make an appointment with you? How, how does that work? Yeah, I love that. So we actually, um, we have a service called Shop with a Dietitian for low FODMAP specifically. So you can come in. Um, yeah, and essentially you either call us or email us and make an appointment with the dietitian that covers your store, the one that's closest to you. And then we walk you around. Uh, we take you around the store and highlight different products uh, that are low FODMAP that you could try out. And there's actually uh, a new brand called Foddy uh, that has products that are formulated to be low FODMAP, which is really, really great as far as convenience goes. What's an example of a Foddy product? So we have marinara sauce that's low FODMAP, and then we also have flavored oil. So I, I mentioned garlic and onions are high FODMAP, and that's where we get a lot of flavor in food. So you can get infused uh, oil to add that garlic and onion flavor without actually eating the food itself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's like the essence of. Yeah, it's basically infused because you get the flavor, but the carbohydrates don't dissolve into the oil. So you don't get the symptom. You just get the, yeah, the essence. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. So what percentage of, I mean, if that's like the trendy diet these days, like what percent of your week involves FODMAP? Uh, that's people. interesting. I wouldn't, I'm not sure I would call it trendy so much as I think it's becoming more well known and people with digestive issues. Uh, unfortunately, we just don't treat digestive issues very well. And so they're trying to find a way that they can help themselves. So it's, we've seen an increase. Um, and it's increasing now that we have that specific brand body. Uh, but gosh, percentage of my week. I don't know. I probably see a couple of customers every month that are interested in that particular topic. So it's not a huge part of what we're doing, but um, I think those people that we do see have a huge impact on how we help them. I'm all for eating healthy. I totally get that and I'm, and, and I'm on that train, so <laughs> to speak. But I'm very skeptical on, on diets, especially trend diets. I mean, in the past 20 years, there have been hundreds of different diets that don't necessarily do anything or, you know, have any factual evidence right. in any of this stuff. So how does somebody navigate trend diets and figure out what's right, what's wrong? You know, maybe it is specific to, to you and your person and your body, but like how do, there's so many of these and I just don't find relevance in hardly any of them. Yeah. I mean, that's the hard thing too, right? Because you can go on the internet and you can find pros and cons for like basically any diet. So as just a regular person trying to figure out what works for you, you're like, eh, what's going on? Um, and that's where I have to say, I really do recommend seeing a registered dietitian because we have very extensive training in understanding the scientific literature and we know what's a fad and a trend versus what actually is good sound advice. And so we can always guide someone and be like, mm, maybe you shouldn't try that or that could be dangerous potentially, which sometimes it can be um, versus, nope, I think that's a great plan for you. That would be a good and safe and well-researched way to go. Um, so that's really the beauty of seeing a dietitian. I mean, uh, there's definitely some factor in in a in, in a healthy diet yeah like standards of a healthy diet yeah like some basic things absolutely I mean, and but is that something is the standard standardization of all of that kind of what dietitians really focus on and try to focus on as opposed to jumping into a lot of these fad diets and trend diets no i would no? say okay. i mean 
the foundation of a healthy diet is actually relatively simple, right? It's whole, relatively minimally processed or unprocessed fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, um, some amount of animal products if you choose to eat those. And that's really like, you know, predominantly plant-based. Across the board, that's really what a healthy diet is. But when you get into the nitty-gritty of it, it very much depends on the person. And that's where the dietitian really shines because we do a very specific, um, I don't know, specific and detailed assessment of an individual. So we look at what their lifestyle is. We look at their family history. We look at their medical history. We look at what they like to eat, how they like to eat. Do they have any underlying medical conditions? And then we can come up with a plan that is fundamentally healthy, but that is specifically very good for them and their lifestyle and who they are. And that varies quite a bit, right? It could be vegan or vegetarian if that's what someone chooses. It could be um, a little bit higher in animal protein if they really like animal proteins. It could be a little bit higher in um, beans and nuts if they really like those foods. Like everybody's a little bit different, but as long as they're eating a wide array of whole unprocessed foods, it's probably going to be pretty healthy for them. Does that answer your question? Yeah. That's a great answer. But I feel like the elephant in the room is obesity rates are still going up. They're not going down. So those people who come to you, it's like that small group of folks who maybe have diabetes or maybe have high blood pressure or maybe have kind of individual health medical conditions that they come to you versus like, I am just generally overweight and I need to... I need to find a diet that allows me to to lose the weight with exercise and you know so how do you how do you reach out to those type of people how do you handle that Yeah I think you always have to meet people where they are so you're not going to you know interact with someone who is eating you know, fast food five times a week and drinking two liters of soda every day and tell them, okay. What, that's bad? (laughs) Bite your tongue, Brandon Young. You're not going to tell that person, okay, you need to start exercising for an hour every day and you can't eat red meat anymore. And like, that's just not realistic for that person. So instead, you figure out what they're doing and you figure out what it is they want to work on to move in the right direction and you start there. First of all, they want to change. Exactly. And that's the biggest barrier because many people are, they're just not ready to do that yet. They don't want to change. They don't feel like they need to. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different barriers there, but. Yeah. Interesting. So back to, we were kind of talking about um, if somebody was choosing to do a plant-based diet, um, less meat. I mean, those are proven facts now we're finding, right? That a lot of people are moving toward plant-based. Vegan is becoming gigantically popular. It's the largest uh, department increase in our entire store is the products that are in our vegan section. So tell me about like, are you seeing more people who want more information about plant-based eating? Oh yeah. I would say that's probably the biggest increase that we've seen is just the use of that term plant-based and then people wanting to be more plant-based, um, which is fantastic because we know that eating more plant foods is going to help reduce your risk of heart disease, um, reduce your risk for obesity, for cancer, for diabetes, for literally every single chronic condition that our nation and our state faces. Um, So yeah, that is widely, I would say that's probably the hottest trend. Um, And it's, 
it's great, um, but there are a lot of pitfalls that could happen there too. So like my favorite thing to tell customers is, did you know that Oreos are vegan? I don't necessarily want you to eat those all day long, but that could technically be a vegan diet if that's all you ate, but that wouldn't necessarily be healthy, right? Right. Is there trans fat in, in Oreos? Um, I don't think so, no. Okay. So that was, um, most of our trans fats came from partially hydrogenated oils, right. which have been banned from the food supply, so we won't see those anymore. There are trans fats that occur naturally in food, but it's mostly animal products. Yes, yeah. but the new darling, which I guess I should say devil, is palm oil. Yeah, so basically food companies replaced partially hydrogenated oil with palm oil because it behaved similarly, um, which is nutritionally just higher in saturated fat, doesn't have trans fat. Um, but when you think about what kind of foods have those things, they're already process highly processed, probably high in added sugars and other unhealthful things. So I wouldn't recommend that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I just keep coming up with the idea. Uh, there's a beautiful PhD woman by the name of Marian Nessel. She's written a book about the anatomy of a grocery store, oh. which I highly recommend you. I can't remember the exact title, but it's really very similar to that. And she explains how shop the perimeter, shop mm -hmm. the perimeter of your grocery store. But that said, you have a, tons of dietitian's choice products down the center aisles, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. I love talking to people about that. That's kind of, I mean... It, I think it used to be a more helpful um, way to shop, but actually some of our stores, like our produce section, is in the middle of the store. Um, so it doesn't necessarily hold true. And you bring up a really good point. There's tons of healthy food in the aisles. So, for example, um, all of your dried grains, all of your beans, all of your like nut butters, whole grain breads, um, things in the bulk section like dried fruits. There's tons of healthy food in the aisles too. Um, the problem is is... Anytime you process something, even a little bit, you have to put a label on it, right? Um, and that's always what I tell people. I'm like, if it has a label on it, that's your little red flag that goes up where you have to look at that product. Could still be healthy, like a can of beans, for example, or it might not be healthy. But if it has a label on it, that's when you need to do a little bit of extra work to decide, is this a healthy product for me? Versus if you have whole cuts of meat or fish or fruits and vegetables in the produce section, they haven't been processed. And you can't really go too wrong with things like that. So in general, what's your rule of thumb? Like a product that has more than 10 ingredients, a product that has, so they list it in the quantity, right? So the, the very first item will have the most quantity of that ingredient in the food. So after you can not pronounce them anymore, like what is your basis for Yeah, not, not necessarily. I don't look so much at how many ingredients are in a product so much as what those ingredients are. And I don't even tell that to my customers either because I'm trained. So I know, you know, what is a lot of, for example, a lot of ingredient lists are really long on cereal because we fortify cereal with vitamins and minerals, which isn't really a bad thing, but it contributes to a really long ingredient list. So if I told someone 10 ingredients, they might not choose a healthy cereal, even though it's healthy. I see. Um, so I don't necessarily kind of have a rule of thumb that way. Um, I really just uh, like to look at what primarily that product is. Is it whole foods, minimally processed? Yeah. Okay. Hard to generalize there. Yeah. Interesting. So more and more I'm seeing foods that that tout specific benefits like kimchi or miso or um, what's another one? 
I have no idea. Sauerkraut. Sauerkraut, right. right. Fermented type foods. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. So uh, fermented foods, I think the reason they're so popular is because many of them are a source of probiotics. So also yogurt actually goes into that category. And gut health is a really, really hot topic. I think a lot of people are interested in that and the gut microbiome. And so you're hearing more and more, you should eat more fermented foods. Um, and I do think that's a good thing. Um, we know that eating, uh, basically friendly bacteria helps promote healthy digestion and really the science is just, it's in its infancy, really. We don't know exactly what friendly gut bacteria are doing in our digestive tract, but we know that they're probably doing a lot of good things. And you can have not so friendly digestive bacteria in your digestive tract, and they're doing things that are kind of working against you. So we're trying to promote healthy gut bacteria. Eating fermented foods is one of the ways to do that. Um, but just as, since we're on this topic, I also think it's important for people to know that actually dietary fibers are really important for promoting good uh, bacteria as well. So it's not just the really trendy, you know, uh, kombucha and kimchi. It's also just foods that are, have good sources of fiber, like plant foods, which is, again, another um, shout out to the plant-based diet for right. being healthy. But yeah. What about pickled foods? So traditionally pickled foods are going to have uh, probiotics, but most of our like conventional pickles are not sources of that because they're... Um, pasteurized, um, which would kill the bacteria, right? Um, but like a traditional pickle, like if you make homemade canned, you know, um, pickled green beans or whatever y'all are pickling at home, those would be good sources of, of friendly bacteria. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I know that there's a lot of controversy and as of late, it seems like the word organic has kind of lost some of its meaning, but it is one of the only things we have out there. Whereas I do not exclusively purchase organic ingredients. That said, some produce, I may lean toward organic more than, you know, if I had an organic banana versus a regular banana. Can you just talk about that a little bit about what your feelings are about organic? Yeah. So I think it's important to kind of tease out a few different issues with organic. So when we talk about organic, what we're referring to is a set of farming practices and these foods are produced in a certain way. So they can only use approved uh, pesticides. Um, that is a common misconception though. Organic products can use pesticides. They just have to be like from a certain list. But anyway, um, Basically, you're growing food in a certain way, and it tends to be a little bit more environmentally friendly. So from that perspective, I do think organic is a great choice. But on the flip side, we really don't have any evidence that organic is actually healthier, that it has more nutrition or more nutrients in it. Um, so when I talk to customers about it, I always say, you know, if the organic is, product is too expensive, like, just buy the regular one. An apple is still a really healthy choice, organic or not, right? Like, you shouldn't let that deter you from buying healthy foods if you can't buy the organic version. Um, but I think maybe where some of the controversy comes up that I've been hearing is organic is really big business now, right? It's very profitable for a lot of companies to have that on their product. And so really, we've kind of co-opted what was meant to be a really good environmental solution, and we've basically turned it into, like, a big agriculture thing that may actually not be so helpful for the environment because we're still, you know, doing big monocrops and things like that. And I think that's where people get their issue with it. Um, 
which I think is valid, but I'm not an expert in that area. Yeah. That's a great answer. Because, you know, like when you see BuzzFeeds and things like that, it'll be like, these are your top five produce items that you should purchase organic. Oh, yeah. Like you the know? dirty dozen. Yeah. Yeah. That I find problematic, too, because then it makes people afraid. Like I've had, talked to people who are like, I don't eat strawberries because I'm so afraid there's pesticides on them. And that's really sad. I'm like, oh, just rinse your strawberries underwater and then eat them. You'll be fine. You know? <laughs> Imagine what rinsing things Oh my does. gosh, if I could just have a dietitian Ashley next to me when I hear people talk and say things like that, just like push a button and she says this beautiful response. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's almost like you want a dietitian sitting on your shoulder. On your shoulder like and, a little yeah, guardian yeah, yeah. angel. Yeah, Eat be, that, that, just wash so it. <laughs> Can I make you in miniature? <laughs> What's another like crazy fallacy that you despise? Um... So we talked about organic. Uh, I guess a big one, which is also a little bit controversial maybe, is like farmed versus wild seafood. Um, and I a lot of customers ask me about this all the time, or they'll just say kind of in an offhand comment, like, I only buy wild seafood. That's me. Which I think is a, can be a good thing. Um, but I do think it's not fully informed. So just like Basically, there are good wild fisheries and there are bad wild fisheries. There are overfished wild um, products that you shouldn't be eating. And there, um, on the flip side, there are really good high-quality farming uh, uh, aquaculture pra practices and also really poor aquaculture farms. So there's good and bad in both. And I wouldn't say that, like, just to say that I only do wild um it's really not looking at the whole picture. And when you think about our food in general, everything we eat is farmed. So why are we insisting that we can only have wild seafood? It's a little bit hypocritical or it just doesn't quite fit. And I think as far as feeding people um, and the growing planet, right, we're going to need to farm seafood in order to meet the needs of the population. So how can we do that in a good way? And there are companies that are doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing with uh, beef, as an example. You know, like there are those big beef, like assembly line farm stuff that you see all the time, and then those documentaries that are always not in a positive light. Um, but we do a lot of business with very up and up ethical farmers and ranchers that really take care of their animals and. Well, that's actually the, the land and a really good analogy. Like, basically, so saying you only eat farm fish would be like saying I only eat wild buffalo for my beef, which is just not realistic for the whole globe to do that, right? We can't all be eating, you know, wild buffalo that we've hunted ourselves, right? It's just not realistic. Um, so, what can we do with our modern technology in a good, environmentally sustainable way to get seafood to many people? Because we know it's a really important nutritious food all right so here's uh we'll just do a quick lightning round of a couple of food trends coming up in 2020 you may not know anything about these because i certainly don't lightning round can Go. i say i don't know absolutely okay great pass yeah. just say uh, pass yeah. so uh what can you add, what, what can you add to dishes containing squid ink oh uh maybe the chef leslie would be a good one for that uh, uh, <laughs> risotto that's what comes to color? mind color 
So you think it's just a color factor? Like, okay, well, we'll just skip on to the okay, next one. Okay, pass, pass. Uh, <laughs> I have a container uh, of squid ink that I've had in my bottom drawer for about and, and 10 strictly, years. And strictly used for color? It's mainly for risotto. It, it does have a tiny bit of bitterness to it, but it makes the rice really black. And of course I have to have it, but I haven't used it yet. So <laughs> I obviously don't need it very much. Interesting. It, to me, it doesn't add any value. Very nice. Okay. Uh, collagen. Uh, collagen is a animal protein that's really bioavailable, so I think it could be a good thing to include. Um, is it the miracle that everyone says it is? Probably not. What form is it coming in? Powder. powder? Very nice. Okay. It's going to give you uh, really strong teeth and nails, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the idea, right? Because collagen is a building block, but you have to digest it first. So it's not like you consume collagen and then it like goes to fortify your collagen containing t- tissues. Your body's going to use those amino acids. You mean these crow's feet that I have aren't just going <laughs> to automatically disappear if I add a tablespoon in my food each right, day? Right. Exactly. Like, I'm not saying collagen bad, is bad, but it's probably not going to... Help your crow's feet. Maybe I could just spread make some it coconut a poultice and throw it on my face. <laughs> Bovine collagen on my face at night. The new palms. <laughs> uh, what about mushrooms? There seems to be a big push of mushrooms this upcoming year, apparently. Yeah, I think mushrooms are great. They have a lot of nutrients. Um, they're a really awesome texture. They add great flavor. So I'm Agree all about to that disagree. one. I love <laughs> shrimps. Come on. Uh, let's see here. Um... Well, this one's just talking about a low-carb lifestyle, so is that coming, making a comeback? I think it's still pretty popular, absolutely, especially with keto. Um, this one's interesting, Brussels sprouts. Uh, I know why. Why? You tell me. Because it's in the chicory family. Same thing as the reason why I love radicchio so much. It's also in the chicory family, but it's very, very bitter, but it's uber, uber colorful and really high in antioxidants. Mm-hmm. So I even try to like mince it or shred it in things so that you don't get that bitterness. But that's why. Uh, well, I think you and I, Jeff, have had this conversation. I don't remember if we were on a podcast or not. But uh, one of the things I think maybe these type of stuff, I think you even mentioned sauerkraut earlier, but like a lot of the popularity of these types of foods that have been around forever and ever and ever is in its preparation. Like we're starting to prepare it and cook it in a way that's an appealing mm-hmm. appealing um, tasty so like, i think i, 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 I wait, we talked about again i don't know if this is a podcast or not but canned spinach versus the raw spinach or you know raw spinach and you prep it yourself like there's a noticeable taste difference and back in my generation people grew up on the canned spinach and it's hideous it's mm-hmm. disgusting but now we're starting to cook it in different ways and becoming a popular i'm wondering if brussels sprouts because we we did a how-to video with brussels sprouts that were great yeah people tend to overcook it and so the sulfur compounds start coming out Mm. but i think i misspoke and said it was a chicory and it's a brassica yeah i mean so all brassica vegetables just Um, for the record are super super nutritious although one thing i'll caution is like lists like this like they love to call out one vegetable like you need to eat brussels sprouts and it's like well yeah brussels sprouts are really healthy but actually Healthy means eating a variety of foods, not just like if you only ate Brussels sprouts, you wouldn't be healthy, right? You need to eat a lot of different things. Yeah, you need to eat well, cauliflower, yeah, and but broccoli. W- and let's let's not dig too deep into this. This is just food trends, <laughs> not just move on, yeah. move on. <laughs> Trying to have a serious philosophical <laughs> conversation here. <laughs> Kale, <laughs> Kale, cabbage, farro. That's yeah. I mean, here's the like an interesting thing. I'm doing the f- photos for the floral department, and they're starting to add. Kale oh, I love that. as a as a can you flower eat that? arrangement. 
It's they ornamental said, kale. Yeah, but oh. they, can you eat that? Yeah, they said they could. They and cabbages too. Yeah, like I thought that was a new thing that I was like, this is weird. I want no part of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Meanwhile, the dietitians are like, yes, cabbage bouquets. <laughs> Baby kale is the best. A lot of people just think it's so bitter that they cannot get past the bitterness. But there are different varieties of kale that are delicious, and baby kale is awesome. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's saying cauliflower. Uh, so options doing like cauliflower and gnocchi and pizza crust. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a baby of, or byproduct of the low carb. People are using cauliflower in place of higher starch potatoes, essentially. And so they're using it in gnocchi and uh, crust, pizza crust and rice and all of these things. Um, again, I think it's a really great thing people are eating more vegetables but do you have to stop eating potatoes at the same time no you can eat cauliflower and potatoes so this one's interesting it's talking uh, that harissa is the new sriracha um i don't know if you agree or disagree with it however uh we did the uh, how-to video with the roasted carrots that you had the harissa seasoning well i went straight for the actual bottled harissa and used that my stuff in the tube uh it was a jar no it was a oh, tube. The mina no, my house oh no you did seasoning I did the seasoning, but I had Tabitha taste the tube of Oh, really? So there was... Uh, it's just a it was, North it was, African It was an interesting spice. thing, and I was like, I've never dealt paste. with this before. Bell pepper, uh, like a red pepper paste. Yeah. I, I, I liked it quite a bit. Anyway. I mean... The, I love Harissa. The kind that I got comes in a tube, sort of like how a tomato paste or anchovy paste would come. I don't know if Harmons carries that right now. We carry Mina Harissa in a jar. Mina is what yeah, I got. Yeah, I'm her. obsessed with it. It's yeah. so I was, tasty. Is it zippy? Mm-hmm. Like so, too hot oh, though? no. Okay, I don't so, so give me what would you, because I have a lot left over and I'm not going to use it in my carrots for the rest of the year. So, <laughs> uh, what what is a good option to use for that? Oh, so my favorite thing to do with it is I take boneless, skinless chicken thighs um, and then I toss Harissa, Greek yogurt, lemon juice, olive oil and cilantro um, and marinate the chicken thighs and then usually I grill them uh, and then serve it with like pita and hummus and cucumbers and tomatoes. Okay, I think I might do that. That yeah, sounds that, delicious. delicious. Minus the devil's weed. <laughs> Which is cilantro, cilantro, everybody. Just so just so we're all aware. We have the gene. Uh, uh, what do you think about oat milk? Um, I love the texture of it. I think it's, uh, again, it's one of those trendy plant milks. It's great in lattes, but it's really low protein like many plant milk alternatives are. So just be aware of that. What about pea milk? Pea milk is a high in protein plant milk. P-E-A. I know. Green peas. Um, Yeah, so that's actually a great alternative that's high protein, but also dairy free. Uh, You mentioned lattes. I'm also a massive coffee connoisseur, I know. Chef Leslie is as well. Uh, Talk to me about cold brew. Cold brew. So um, just generally speaking, coffee is actually a very nutritious drink as long as you don't add too much sugar to it, which you probably could have guessed. Um, Cold brew is just really, really high in caffeine, so it's very potent, uh, which means you probably need to drink and should drink less of it. Um, But it's delicious. It has less acidity, so it's... um, you can use less sugar in it a lot of times, which is a good thing, or no sugar, which is preferable. Okay. Like it never is heated. That's the key. Yeah. So heated or what? I don't care about this. How much coffee is too much coffee? Uh, 
So um, if you want to get technical, yes, I do. Um, the recommended daily limit is 300 milligrams of caffeine a day. And that's caffeine, not coffee. And so different coffees have different strengths. A typical yeah. cup of coffee might have 80 milligrams. So you could have three three cups of coffee and be fine. Eight ounces? Yeah. Mm. But cold brew, like we sell, one of our cold brews has, I think, 180 milligrams in one 16-ounce bottle. So that's quite a bit more, obviously. So you're what drinking if, too much caffeine. Okay, so so it's really the the caffeine is really what's is what you're trying to limit. Yeah, because okay. too much is not. Good. So what if I just did three cups of caffeinated total ounces? Three cups of caffeinated, and then I switched to decaf for the remaining ten cups that I drink. <laughs> <laughs> Would that uh, work? Would so that- caffeine free or decaf coffee actually does have still some caffeine, caffeine in it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, yeah, but you're still gonna have quite a bit less. Uh, yeah, there's gonna be a less factor. It's probably so, better to do that. So okay, here's. <laughs> How are you win- drinking all that coffee, by the way? Does it have quickly through my throughout mouth. the day? <laughs> <laughs> throughout <laughs> the day from a thermos. Your body actually kind of becomes accustomed to it, and so you it's it acts as less of a diuretic for someone who is a habitual coffee drinker. But let's say you drink coffee like once a week. That day that you drink coffee, it will act as a diuretic because your body's not used to it, and so you will need to drink more water to make up for it. But if you drink one cup of coffee every day, it's probably not very dehydrating to you. And you, I mean, obviously you should stay hydrated, but it's not a huge concern. 60 ounces of coffee. So he drinks 60 ounces of coffee a day. That's a lot. <laughs> Look at her. She's like, <laughs> slow your roll, man. You need to slow your roll. How about doing a cup of water in between? But water isn't as delicious. Each 20-ounce cup of coffee. (laughs) That's the problem. All we would ask is that you, because you're not drinking water at all. We're having an intervention now all of a sudden. (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) I'm going to get out of here. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We absolutely have learned so much about the whole program and... Really, what it takes to be a dietitian. Yes, we really have. And we'll I'll throw this out there that the dietitians, Ashley, among them, puts a lot of hard work and effort into supplying stories for our blog. So please go to harmansgrocery.com slash blog. So if a customer wanted to contact our dietitians, what is the best way to contact you? The best way to contact us is by email. You can email dietitian at harmansgrocery.com and we will get back to you very shortly. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Leslie? It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Leslie, thanks for co-hosting with me. Thanks, Brandon. Until the next one. Can't wait. Until the next one. Uh, Be sure to uh, leave us a review if you'd like. Uh, Give us a rating as well we're on apple Podcasts and google play music we appreciate it this podcast is produced by tabitha dutton and brandon young executive producer lindy nance sound design and edited by brandon young design ashley grace original music by spencer young